1: The 2021 U.S. Open is just a month away, and our Summer in the City's coverage is heating up on the hard courts of Atlanta. Two Americans faced off in our featured match as the five-time champion took on the 2019 runner-up for a spot in Sunday's final. Look out for this rising star, Casper Rood was in Kitzbühel, looking to reach a milestone that had been achieved in a decade. And this Hall of Famer turned 90 years young today, We'll honor Nick Bollateri as he tells his life story in his own words. Good point, Rafa. TC Live is ready to blow you away next. And welcome to Tennis Channel Live presented by Fidelity. It's been a hot week of tennis and weather in atlanta but the field is down to two it's an all-american final brandon nakashima and john isner set to do battle on sunday for the title meanwhile no medals for novak as djokovic falls in the bronze medal match in tokyo and nick Voltari turns 90 today we'll have a special tribute to this coaching legend hey everybody welcome inside our tennis channel studio i'm rob Similcare along with tracy austin and kamal marie and Let's talk about this Atlanta final for a moment. John Isner going for his sixth title in Atlanta. Meanwhile, Brandon Nakashima, who had his number last week in Cabo, can he beat John Isner two weeks in a row?
2: You know, that would be a tall task for Brandon. Brandon's playing well, but John Isner is looking so at home and actually returning better than I've ever seen him return. I mean, he just, you know, sort of, uh, took Taylor, Taylor Fritz to serve completely away from him when the returns and mentally just sort of took control of the match and controlled the tone from start to finish. So, you know, b I'm sure, is resting well tonight, but tomorrow is <laughs> going to be a tough day.
3: Yeah, it definitely will be interesting because I think John Isner feels so at home here, as yeah. you said, in Atlanta, went to University of Georgia. And when you win a tournament five times, when you win a tournament one time and yeah. you go back, you feel so familiar and brings back such great memories. John's just plays so well in Atlanta. Quick courts, and that helps his game.
1: Yep. All right, well, another guy who's getting used to winning is a man named Casper Rood, who over in Austria this week trying to do something that hasn't been done in a long time. That's him two weeks ago in Sweden winning in Bastard. Then it was last week...
3: Winning he did Stod. it again
1: in Stad, exactly, <laughs> lifting up a heavier-looking trophy, but a trophy nonetheless managed to get it over his head. So that's two titles in two weeks for Rude. and he's trying to make it three in a row against Pedro Martinez and Kitsbuhl. And here's the final, which was a seven-hour affair.
3: Yeah, it started a little late because of rain, but once they got on court, it was Casper Rude who made the nice adjustments and was ultra-aggressive. He's got such an accurate backhand and a huge forehand. After 6-1 in the first set, play was suspended for rain. It was a little windy, as we saw. Covers go on. They come back. And they actually had another stoppage at 2-1 in the second set. And after about three hours, they got back on court. And Martinez just played much better in that second set. A little more offensive, a little closer to the baseline. And in the third set, it was Rude who got off to a very quick start. Rude is in the far corner in the lavender. He seemed to have all of the answers. He has plenty of confidence because he's won two tournaments in a row, got to 5-1 in the third set, and then it started to slip a little. And you thought, is he getting nervous? Is he going to be able to close this out? And a little bit of luck. And yes, three titles in a row, three weeks in a row. Martinez wasn't too happy about that. That's got to feel great. Lying in the the red dirt right there as the winner.
1: So they embrace and Casper Rude has done something special in this post-Wimbledon clay court swing through Europe. Three wins in three weeks. The first man on the ATP Tour to do it since Andy Murray a decade ago. Murray won three straight on the hard courts during the Asian swing. And Casper Rude spoke about the three-peat after the match.
4: I don't know, I'm
1: shaking in the in the body, it felt amazing, I mean, I was very nervous in the end, I knew what I was playing for, uh, three in a row is something special and I'm just so happy, such a long day, what a, what a day to play the final, rain on and off all the time, so I'm uh, just very, very excited and happy that uh, these three weeks are over and that I won all of them. <laughs> Yes, he won all of them. and uh,
3: <laughs> I won every match. <laughs> I, I, every
1: single one. And, I, you know, that's a feeling that, gosh, I think any player who's ever played tennis at any level, especially at, at, at that level, would love to have the feeling of winning once. To win three in a row is really something else.
2: Well, I mean, he is getting used to working on the weekend. And he's showing that he's one of those players that doesn't necessarily need the rest, but need the reps. Right When you see pl- a player win, three tournaments in a row, it shows that he's really benefiting from match after match after match. Same thing with Brandon Nakashima. You know, sometimes the rhythm and the continuity... Helps a player more than having a good week, taking a week off to rest, and starting all over again. And so this is a recipe that is, is so young in his career, he can start to take some notes on, on learn how to propel his career forward. I mean, he's already in the top 15 in the world, going to be a seed in the U.S. Open. So I think he's getting some, like, really valuable lessons in terms of how to help him perform at his best. Tracy, what, what about his game is, is so good on Clay?
3: He's so physical. It's very tough to get through the defenses because he is lightning quick. He's so strong, so it doesn't matter where he is on the court. He can come up with an offensive shot as well. He's got the backhand slice to keep the point alive. And we're hoping and we're starting to see this year in Australia, got to the fourth round at the Australian Open, that this game, he's just 22, so he's building, uh, will be just as good on hard courts.
1: Well, we've got an All-American final in Atlanta. Let's check in on the other semifinal earlier today. It's this 19-year-old Brandon Nakashima. He made his first ATP final last week, and he's going for a second in a row against Emil Russovori of Finland.
3: Yeah, and Nakashima served first in the opening game and just had a slow start. It was a little bit sloppy. He got broken, and Russovori played an incredible first set. Didn't put a foot wrong, was ultra-aggressive. Tremendous depth and looked like he was facing no nerves whatsoever. But in the second set, the first game for him, all these were in the first game. Rusevori served three double faults to basically break himself. And Nakashima was winning all of his first serve points, won 100% of his first serve points. So he really lifted His game, he started dictating more, always with the backhand, but also with the forehand. Third set, first game as well. It's always the first game of the set. Bruce Savori played a sloppy game, got broken, and Nakashima just went from good to really great, where he was so solid, started returning even better. And he is into another final second week in a row.
1: And an impressively calm 19-year-old Brandon Nakashima spoke after the match
2: yeah i mean he
1: he came out playing really well, and uh you know I kind of got off to a slow start and everything but uh I just told myself to uh just stick to uh to my tactics out there and and obviously, I served a lot better in the second and third set and and that uh that helped my ground game a lot, so uh definitely happy to get through this.
3: Brandon Nakashima's serve went from good to really good. 14 aces, a clean, just one double fault. Look at that. 85% of his first serve points won. And the break points. He was clutched, three for three. And you just see this young man, 19 years old. His game is really starting to come together. All-court game, slice backhand, feeling comfortable at the net. Very exciting future.
1: Meanwhile, the match we just saw Taylor Fritz, John Isner. And I think they're going to have to think about naming this court after John Isner <laughs> as he goes for his sixth title in Atlanta.
2: Yeah, you know him and Fritz played neck and neck this first set and it was just one mini break in the tiebreaker that gave John the edge. And you could see him starting to build confidence and then in the second set, there was a loose game John played here and gave Fritz the opportunity to break. You don't see it too often, but Fritz, you know, improved his return position which ultimately allowed him to get a few more looks at the John Misner serve, and that proved to be the difference in the second set. You know, Fritz, early on, was just playing too far back, too passive, and then started to do, what, honestly, what honestly what Isner was doing to him, was attacking second serves, playing with a lot more aggressive court position, and that got him there, but in the third, you know, Big John would come in and get an early break and he would never look back. He started to get the crowd into it, and he could smell blood in the water, and he just kept on going from there. And Fritz, you could see him just start to kind of lose steam. You know, what really impressed me about John was as Fritz started to adjust, then John made a counter-adjust and showed that his experience uh, over the years has really benefited him so far.
1: So John Isner will have a chance to make it six in Atlanta. Here he is after the match. getting pretty uh, redundant but uh i'll take it i love it here i've always played uh probably the best tennis of my career here and i'm very excited to be in another final i don't take these moments for granted for sure there's going to come a day where i won't be playing this tournament so i'm going to look forward to tomorrow and um get ready rest up and see what i can do and Tracy, you know, they say in horse racing, there's, there's horses for courses, right? And yes. This just seems to be the course for John Isner.
3: Yeah. And I was a little concerned, Kamau, because he finished late last night. It was 12, 1 o'clock. By the time you get to bed, 2 o'clock, you don't know how much that is going to sap your energy. But he came out today, out tonight, fired up. I think he, want, he had a, I would think he would think losing to Nakushima last week in, in Mexico was a bad loss for him. Um, So he's been fired up. He wants uh, number six here, and he came out playing with just enough sense of urgency, served very well, and as you said, attacked the second serves, and and that was the turning point.
2: Absolutely. And when you think about tomorrow, he's going to want revenge from last week. You know, Nakashima took him out last week. John is well aware who he's playing. And for Brandon, he's got to just try to stay unaffected by John serve. You know, a lot of times when you get an ace left and right, players can sort of allow that emotion to creep into their service games. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Brandon Nakashima, I don't let the twenty-eight to thirty aces get, you know, get to me. I need to just stay focused on holding my serve. Brandon is a much better returner than anybody John Nisner has played. So he'll get a small window of opportunity, and when he gets it, he's gotta take it.
1: All right, well, we'll have that match coming up for you tomorrow. The championship is set. It's an all-American final at the truest. Atlanta Open Sunday, 5 Eastern time. Brandon Nakashima and John Isner. And right after that match, of course, we'll have TC Live. When we come back on this edition of TC Live, Nick Bollettieri, one of the greatest coaches in the history of American tennis, turns the big 9-0. Back with a tribute after this.
0: Tennis Channel Live is presented by Fidelity Wealth Management.
1: Welcome back to TC Live, presented by Fidelity. And it was back in 2014 that Nick Bollettieri was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Bollettieri, one of the all-time greats when it comes to coaching in this country, he spoke about his story in his own words.
4: Should we get started? I'm Nick Bollettieri. Got some stories to tell you, baby. Are you ready for this? The story. I want the world to know. My journey. Watch out, baby. You know, I first got involved in tennis by an accident. I grew up in a little town called North Pelham, New York, about 45 minutes outside New York City. All we knew, playing football, baseball, anything with action. And I was able to make the football team. I was a quarterback. And if my sophomore year, my uncle said, "Uh, Nick, why don't we go play a little tennis? I said, play tennis? That's a sissy sport. And he said, well, let's see how sissy it is. So I got out, and I did fairly well. And upon graduation, I uh, tried to vest a Naval Air Corps test, and the Italians don't know how to read. So I flunked the written test, and I vest a physical test. I volunteered to be a paratrooper. I began to learn a lot, discipline, the feeling that you're the best in the world, that you can do anything. I remember making my first jump. The little bug private looked up at me. He said, Mr. Lieutenant, you go and jump? I said, I am, son. You scared? I said, son, I have a diaper on. And believe me, I had a diaper on. Then I started my summer camps in a town called Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. How did I get that job? A man used to play golf. And he went by the tennis set up every day down at Dorado Beach. And he looked at me, and he said, young man, you belong with children. He said, call me if you ever need my help. I didn't pay much attention. But I later on looked at the name, and it was Vince Lombardi. He got me my first start in big camps, and from there I got the idea. If I put kids who really wanted to do something all together, you never know what would happen. I said, gee whiz, let's start bringing these kids together. I bought two in my house, three in my house, six. I went through my first wife, the second wife, the third wife. Pretty soon I had ten kids in my house. And that night, they were like rats coming into the refrigerator. I had my own family, but that's how I started the academy. The Sellers, the Curriers, the Agassiz, the Max Murnies, we put them all together, and they would go in the back courts. No coaches. Play, break rackets, gamble, fight, punch, to get on my court. And giving scholarships to the best people, using military discipline to eat, clean their clothes, shine their shoes the academy became what it is today to see andre Agassi at wimbledon on his knees and crying oh man and see my serena williams and maria's and and all of these people do what they've done that is a feeling that you can't explain
1: Wow, wow! How great was that? And you know, Tracy, you you can't talk about American tennis over the last forty years without talking about Nick Bollettieri. Maybe maybe
3: more. What a personality! I actually learned from that. That was really quite That's interesting. Funny. And his my first wife, my second wife, my third <laughs> wife. But uh, you know. He was the pioneer for the tennis academy and the boarding school and bringing the kids together that wanted to learn and wanted to be the best or the best that they could be with all of the coaches. Uh, and it was obviously Agassi, and it was Sampras, and it was Courier. But the first person that he got that re- he really took to the top was Jimmy Arias. This is a classic photo. First, the shorts, the no shirts, the constant tan from Nick Bollettieri on the right. Good 12-pack there, a- Arias. Good job. Happy birthday, 90th birthday, that's beautiful.
2: Jimmy Arias, where's your shirt, brother? Put the shirt on. Well, you
3: got that. You don't put your shirt on. Are you crazy? You take it off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, My favorite Nick Boltero story is when I was trying to build my academy in Chicago, he flew in. We called him. We said, hey, Nick, we want you to come in and help us build belief that this can happen in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So we called him and said, do you want a first-class ticket? He says, no, I can ride a coach. So he took a Southwest flight. Landed at 7.30 a.m. We took him to a bunch of schools, did a bunch of clinics with kids, took him to the mayor's office, took him to the president of the University of Chicago's office to try to raise money and build belief. And 10.30 at night, we were in Mastro's, and he was still telling stories, still going. (laughs) And so he was one of those guys that always wanted to grow the game. He never saw anything you were doing as competitive or that it was going to take away from what he was trying to do. And so I'm forever grateful to Nick for his mentorship, uh, for his love, and I call him, you know, one of, my, one of my dads. I'm one of his adopted sons, so happy birthday.
1: All yeah, right, fun. well, truly a legend in tennis, Nick Volatieri, turning 90 years old today. Ooh. Happy birthday, Nick, from everybody at the Tennis Channel. Welcome back to TC Live, presented by Fidelity. Two big results in tennis in the Olympics today. Belinda Benchich of Switzerland, Takes home the gold medal, her first career gold medal. She defeats Marketa Vondrusova, who takes the silver in the loss. And a big result on the bronze medal side for the men. Novak Djokovic drops a three-setter to Pablo Carreño Busta. We'll talk more about that in a second. But, Tracy, how about Belinda Bencic?
3: That is so exciting for Bencic. She got to the top ten as an 18-year-old, Then she said had some ups and downs. A wrist surgery for her to get through in three sets. She said this is the biggest thing ever for an athlete. And that's a beautiful hug right there at the end. And Bencic, believe it or not, she has a chance for another gold in doubles with Goyobitch. So very exciting moment for Switzerland. You know, Roger Federer has won gold in doubles. Martina Hingis has won a medal. So terrific that Belinda Bencic gets to represent Switzerland in such a positive way.
1: All right, but the story that everyone is talking about on the men's side, of course, Novak Djokovic, after losing in the semifinals, he then loses the bronze medal match. And not only did he lose Kamal, but there was a little more to it than that. He lost, and, and there were some, some issues on court
2: for him. Yeah, I mean, clearly he is still not recovered from losing the semifinal match against Varev. I mean, he is emotionally distraught. And this is a big twist of fate from what we were talking about two days ago with the opportunity to get the Golden Slam. Now we're just trying to get him to finish matches. You know, we, we heard he pulled out from the mixed doubles. So now we're, like, discussing injuries, discussing his ability to recover in time for the U.S. Open. And so it's just amazing how 48 hours can totally change a person's, you know, momentum and their mindset. The story
1: here, he threw his racket at one point into the stands, then broke his racket, got a warning uh, later on in the match But he spoke after the match, Tracy, and not only was he frustrated, you see there him breaking his racket on the net post. Not only was he frustrated, but also brought into question his readiness for New York, saying this took a lot out of him.
3: Well, and yeah, the question, too, was afterwards, should he have played mixed? Because apparently his shoulder is uh, injured right now and he had to default the Bronze medal match to Piers and Ash Barty, the Australian, so they get the, they get the bronze. Obviously, Stojanovic's his, his partner is is upset that they didn't even get to play. But I think again that he played the mixed doubles because he wanted to bring medals back to Serbia. Um, as it turns out, this is kind of the one hole in Djokovic's resume is he doesn't have a gold. He has one bronze, I think it was way back at, at the Beijing Olympics. He's been to the semifinals three times, and you would have thought, okay, one of those he would have gotten the gold or the silver. He, As you said, you, you put it well. He was clearly still distraught from yesterday because he actually it didn't bounce it into the stands. He took his racket, looked this up on YouTube, this is worth it, and he <laughs> yanked it up into the stands at least 10 rows up. It was a, a little bit crazy.
2: Would have been a great souvenir if there were fans there. Good um, thing they were right. there. <laughs> but you know, for joker, but I mean this could also be a case of too much tennis. I mean he he spoke about three different injuries, including the right shoulder. So, mm-hmm. you know, this lot lot taken out of him with all the selfies, all the emotion, and now all the tennis that doubles the mix. Right? And so, in the heat. In the heat, and so it could be too much tennis for Novak. And so you see here the history that's
1: waiting for Novak Djokovic at the U.S. Open about a month from now. And Kamau, how do you, if you're, if you're his coach, if you're working with him, how do you get him to reset after what was obviously, a, you know, momentous and very disappointing Olympics to get his head right for the U.S. Open?
2: Well, look, I mean, this guy has won 20 Grand Slams. He is a professional at recovering from everything he does to his body to also just disappearing and and doing what he needs to do mentally. I'm not worried about that. I just think mentally he's just still stuck and disappointed and all the build-up to the Golden Slam. So we've got a month before the U.S. Open. We've got, you know, Toronto the Canada Swing coming up and, and, you know, Cincinnati coming up. He'll recover fine before that. Right now, I think he's just stuck emotionally because he is always so attached to history and his chance to make history.
3: And also, remember, the Olympics is every four years. With the majors, you've got another one. You've got four-year a year, or tournaments next week. Um, But because he was sitting in the position to possibly win the Golden Slam, still has a position to win the calendar year Grand Slam. That puts a lot of stress on you, a lot of eyeballs on you. So I would think I would think he's not going to play in Canada and Cincinnati, not both of those, because Canada's in just a week. I think he would need a little bit more time. And He's played plenty of matches, as, as you said. But he is a champion. He knows how to recover. He said that, you know, this is very disappointing, but I've lost big matches before and I will recover.
1: All right, guys. Well, let's take a look at what's going on in social media today in the world of tennis. And someone who did not go to Tokyo is Rafael Nadal. He's been hanging out in Washington, D.C. And check this out. He's, he's basically going to the bakery for some breakfast at 8 in the, at eight in the morning. And uh, somebody finds him. They've got a dog who happens to be named Rafa. And this, this woman, Brooke, I guess, gets... Rafael Nadal to take a picture with her dog.
3: But he's not very close to the dog. I mean, I think we've read somewhere in his book that he's not crazy about dogs, a little (laughs) scared of dogs. He's holding the leash like this, and he's about four feet away from from the dog. Doesn't look that comfortable.
2: Yeah, this is just for the gram. This is is definitely an uncomfortable moment for him, but Rafa the rock star, definitely drawing a crowd and drawing attention wherever he is. Yeah, he's keeping a close eye on that dog. Meanwhile, (laughs) another birthday today in the world of
1: tennis. Ooh, la, la. Victoria Azarenka turning 32 years old. Happy birthday, Victoria. Tracy, you can comment on that. You don't want to comment? She looks great. Uh, Happy birthday.
3: (laughs) 32 years old, yes. uh, (laughs) a, A mama to Leo, and she looks fantastic. Remember, coming up, she won Cincinnati. Last year at this time, and got to the finals of the U.S. Open as well. A lot of points to defend, but uh, she is looking fabulous.
2: Go ahead, Vika. Don't be <laughs> afraid to show it. It's good. Thirty-two right. never looks so good. Go ahead. Meanwhile, today in Philadelphia,
1: apparently Andy Roddick, you know the steps, the rocky steps. He <inaudible> found na, himself na. Uh, near the Philadelphia Art Museum oh. and decided to exactly do the rocky run. He's running up the stairs. You can't even tell who it is from the video and. What was most funny I think about this video is you, you see Watch you get the, to end. the top. Na na na. And this is where you raise your arms, right? Na, na, you you na, do that. You na, got to na, turn na, back na, face na. the city exactly and do that. Hey there, Andy. <laughs> jump up tired. and down. And Pam Shriver, I, I guess was uh, was was checking this out on Twitter today. She she was asking Andy Roddick on Twitter, "Hey, what, what's going on? Your your new Olympic event suggestion stair climbing and Roddick then said, hey, it's the Rocky Steps, Pam. I, I had to go full tourist. So full tourist. Andy
2: Roddick getting some exercise on vacation. I don't think he did that when he was playing. Now he's doing it in retirement.
3: <laughs> you do things when you've got kids, right? <laughs> yeah. You take them places that you never saw.
1: Yeah. Good to see Andy staying, staying active as he uh, takes a little time off in the summer. All right, well, when we come back tomorrow, we're going to be getting set for a final in Atlanta, an All-American final, Brandon Nakashima and John Isner. Sunday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be back to wrap it up after this. Welcome back to TC Live, presented by Fidelity. The ATP City Open men's event, Saturday qualifying. Results right here, and J.J. Wolf gets through with a win. Come out, who else do you like here?
2: You know, I like uh, J.J. Wolf and Bjorn Fantangelo just showing how hard it is to go from one tournament to the next. Played well in Atlanta, got through qualities and had to you know, have a tough first round in qualities. Meanwhile, the women will be in San Jose this week.
3: Robin Montgomery threw, Christian lost, and uh, Ellen Perez from Australia got through in a, a three-setter.
1: Back to Kitzbühel we go for the hot shot of the day, the final between Pedro Martinez and Caspar Rude. Look
3: how far behind the baseline these guys are playing. Such depth. They're trying to work the point. Pedro in the near court in defensive position and goes to offense in one shot. There should be flames behind that backhand.
1: Looks like a
3: Kamau Murray backhand right there. Oh, yeah, in (laughs) my (laughs) dream.
1: Pedro Martinez battled all day. All right, well, when we get set now for this final in Atlanta, All-American final, Nakashima and Isner, Kamau,
2: I ask you first who you like. Ooh, that's a that's tough one. That's tough. Oh, you're putting him on <laughs> you the know spot. What? I know he's your boy, Brandon. I'm, I'm going for B-Knock. You know, he's shown <laughs> that he's no longer Brandon. He was Brandon when he was a boy. Now he's a man. Two finals, two weeks in a row. We got to call him B-Knock from here on out. I'm going with B-Knock.
3: Okay, because he chose B-Knock, I'm going with Isner. Got to give the 36-year-old a little love. Courts are quick. John has great memories here. I'm going with Isner, even though he lost last week to him.
1: Not to mention the fact that he announced on court this week they're having their third child. So uh, right. John Isner having himself a great trip to Atlanta again, and he'll go for championship number six tomorrow, 5 o'clock Eastern time on Tennis Channel. We will see you then for Tracy and Kamau. I'm Rob. Have a great night.